Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the internet has followed my lead. Speculation has run amok. Our job is to try to at least make sense of some of it. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome, episode 430 of Not Sam Wrestling. What a time to be doing a wrestling podcast. I feel like it's been that way for a long time now, but this week as much as any other week. uh, I appreciate all you all being here. Everybody that's subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, whether on Spotify, Apple, doesn't matter to me, maybe leave a review. Uh, If you're subscribed on YouTube, thank you. If not, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling. And if you're looking for additional content, patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling is the place to go. Because look, I mean, I, I, I came to you last week, and I came to you with a philosophy. It was more than than an opinion. It, it, it was a philosophy that I think is the only philosophy that any of us fans can live by right now. With everything that's going on, all that we can do is speculate. Speculate early, speculate often, and speculate wildly. What I didn't know was that we would all, as a unit, because if we are one thing, it's a unit, we would speculate so wildly that people would be losing sleep, that the world at large, not just the wrestling world, not just wrestling Twitter, not just Squared Circle on Reddit, but the world at large would hear it that the speculation of wrestling fans would ring so loudly that I'd have coworkers, fellow broadcasters that haven't watched WWE or any professional wrestling in quite some time coming to me and saying, Sam, what's this speculation I'm hearing? And I went, I, I mean, I knew it was coming, but I don't think any of us could have predicted how wild and how loud the speculation would be. It was so loud. The the number one rule of this, by the way, and this is something that I should have remembered. I will take the blame for some of this frustration that I'm feeling. The number one rule about living in a time when we encourage wild speculation is to simply remember that that's what it is, wild speculation. But on Tuesday... Shit hit the fan. It's the only way you can describe it. People were coming to me on Tuesday, on Twitter. They weren't, you know, literally coming to me, but digitally they were, they were, they were knocking on my door saying, it's time, Sam, you got to do an emergency bonus podcast. A lot of people were asking, why don't you jump on and do a podcast about everything that's going on? And if there is any advice that I could give to people, it would be to follow my lead on this. The reason I didn't do a podcast was because I had no clue 
what was going on. That didn't stop many. It stopped me. It didn't stop many. I forgot that we were speculating. Because when you're speculating, you don't always say, hey, just wildly speculating here. Sometimes you just go full declarative. Sometimes you go vague. But you don't say, I've got some speculation that I'd like to be vague about. You go, ooh, something's going on here. And you forget. I forget. When he says something's going on here, speculatively speaking, something is going on here. Nobody would say that, though, right? Tuesday, I get home from a long day. Driving home, it's like 6 p.m. I've been, I've, I've been burning the midnight oil for hours and hours and hours. And I'm getting texts. I'm getting texts from people. Are you reading this? Are you seeing this? Stephanie just resigned. Right before 6 p.m., and we've talked about this before, how many of these announcements come between the hours of 5 and 6 p.m.? Just about all of them. Stephanie sends out a tweet that acknowledges the fact that months ago she left the WWE. She took a leave of absence to be with family. And only weeks later returned to the WWE when given the amazing opportunity to become the co-CEO of the brand that she grew up with, the WWE, that it was finally time. And she came back and she did that. But she said, looking at, 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 at the field with Vince McMahon back on the board, with Nick Khan in the other CEO chair sticking around, with Paul Levesque operating as, as chief creative officer, chief content officer, CCO, chief content officer, that she said WWE is in good hands. In fact, it's in such good hands that she feels she can go back to the position that she was in before, go back home to her family, to her leave of absence, and that she's going to go one step further and not just take a leave of absence, but resign from the company. She's not going to be the CEO. She's not coming back. She's not going to be on the board. She's done she said she loves WWE, and I believe that that is a thousand percent true. And she said that she plans on jumping on the other side and just getting to enjoy the product as a fan. And, and with that, Stephanie McMahon rode off into the sunset. A lot of people were really upset about this, especially within the WWE, I'm sure. I can't speak for anybody, but I'm sure. Because I do know that Stephanie McMahon was a is is a beloved person in WWE by a lot of people. So it shook up a lot of people, especially because we had heard on Friday, four days before this, there had been a, a, an, a, an employee meeting in which it was told to the employees that it's business as usual. Nothing, nothing is changing other than there's a, a new person on the board and that a, a, a sale of the company is something that's being explored, not confirmed, but explored which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that's all. No, no big deal. Business as usual. And then boom, the other shoe drops. Goodbye, Stephanie. And who knows? Who knows how quick this decision was made? Who knows if on 
Friday, Stephanie knew that she was going to be leaving within four days. Who knows if over the weekend something happened. Maybe she came to work on Monday and went, nah, not for me anymore. Who knows? We know that she was for a period of time CEO while Vince McMahon was still in charge of creative. Vince stepped down from CEO and continued to run the television show first, then left that position. And that's when uh, uh, Triple H came aboard uh, in July. But it's a mystery. We don't know what led to this decision. Uh, uh, you know, we don't know if maybe this was a, an opportunity Stephanie was waiting to take. We don't know if there's something deeper going on. We can speculate wildly about it, and I would encourage it. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people have theories. You know, I'm already reading from trusted sources. That's the other thing. That's the other thing we learned this week. Even when sources are trusted, those trusted sources are probably this just wildly speculating. Because we hear about all the friction. Nick Khan is a go-between between the McMahons and this and that. It's all wild speculation. But the speculation got a lot wilder on Tuesday night. Because the vagaries started. Vague tweets started coming forward. Oh boy, they said. If you're hearing what I'm hearing, there's more news. I went, what? Oh, boy. On a night that Stephanie McMahon has resigned, there's more news? Then this other person sent eyeball emojis. And then this other person said, I haven't confirmed this, but I'm hearing something big is about to break. And you're, you're getting this from all these Twitter accounts. So now you're locked in. Now you're refreshing. What could be next? What could be next? And that's when it comes through. People start saying that not only was a sale imminent, but some start saying the sales already happened and the WWE has been sold to the Saudis. One of the buyers that was speculated upon when that list came out, that the company sold. And you go, what? What do you mean the company? Just like that? They just hired JP Morgan yesterday. To facilitate this thing. They only mentioned it was Thursday night that they even told us that this is what Vince McMahon was coming back for. And now that's it. And then more information started coming up. Yup. They bought it and they bought it and it's gonna, they're gonna move the company private and they're putting Vince McMahon back in and all this, and all this information just started popping up. And no matter how deep you dug, nobody had a source. Some accounts were tweeting, this is a fact and has happened. And it was, you know, I think wrestling sites that, if it is true, wanted to be able to say they were the first to report it. Others that I think felt were being, they, they, they felt they were being more responsible were saying, this hasn't been confirmed, but I'm hearing it too. And another account would go, well, if he's telling you he's hearing it, I also have heard this, but not confirmed. It's like, well, I mean, if it's, it might, might not be confirmed, but unless it was pretty close to being confirmed, you wouldn't tell me about it, right? You wouldn't talk to me about it, right? And I'm scrolling. It's now 1030, 11 o'clock at night. I'm going, when am I going to bed? I got to find out the news here. They're saying it's going to drop tonight. I'm calling people. I'm texting people. But it's all rumors. Nobody's actually heard it. And people I'm asking are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm reading Twitter just like you. 
And then I start seeing these tweets. Hey, just so you know, the time difference, you know, Saudi Arabia, they, it's earlier. There. It's later there. So it's six o'clock in the morning in Saudi. I think they're going to drop this news in their time. In, in, in Riyadh time zone. And then that way we're going to find out about it late tonight. I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling. And I'm like, finally, I all right, I just got to go to bed. I'll, I'll, make, I'll check Twitter first thing in the morning, though. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Now, I, I, I woke up, immediately checked Twitter. And that's when I realized I got got. They had me. I was fooled. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was looking at this going, come on, guys, why is everybody being hysterical? I haven't heard anything. I, I got got. I got scooped up by all of it. It wasn't until the next morning when I refreshed and nothing was there. No confirmation, no real sources. The Wall Street Journal didn't report it. And so far in this whole saga, that started around the middle of last year, all, all of the big hits, all of the bullet points come from the reporting done by the Wall Street Journal. And I'll tell you, those Wall Street Journal reporters, they generally don't tweet out, hey, article hasn't come out yet, but uh, I'm hearing big things. You don't know until the article actually comes out because they confirm it with multiple sources. And then they write the article and then they publish the article and they go, okay, now we've given you the news. Not, ah, you know what? One person has told me this is happening. I'm working on getting more confirmed sources, but just wanted you to know, Twitter world. And you're like, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work. But yes, as the days and now almost a week has gone on, there has been no confirmation of this. And I think the lesson, to, and nobody's apologized. Nobody said, all right, maybe I put the cart before the horse. And you don't need a big mea culpa. But this is why people look down on, on rest, wrestling journalism and fans and now all of us taking ourselves too seriously because stuff like this happens. We get carried away. Nobody's really come forward to be like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have declared this is true. Or even, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been posting vague tweets and getting everybody hysterical about this. Yeah, maybe that's not how this is supposed to work because clearly this thing that everybody said had happened didn't happen. And, you know, you do your, 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 your going back over it and you go, well, I didn't say, I said it might happen and it still might. No, that's not, that's not the spirit of what was said. And so, look, you're going down the list now. And, of course, this has become the conversation. Who is WWE selling to? I don't know. But it's really interesting that in the middle of all this conversation, no, it's got to be the Saudis. It's definitely happening. We also find out that Nick Khan took a, took a, took a meeting, was hanging and banging with the president of ESPN and the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger. So you're like, oh, maybe there are conversations going on here. Maybe this isn't quite so cut and dry as I thought it was. And who knows how that rumor got started? Who knows how that information got leaked out there? I have no clue. All I did was follow along with it on Twitter and felt like a gullible fool by the end of it like everybody else. But I will say, and, and, and who knows at the end of this thing, 
maybe WWE does get purchased by the Saudis. Maybe WWE doesn't get purchased by anybody. But there are a lot of other spots that it would all make sense, you know, when I started I started Googling around. Because here's what happened. Now, even though you never got this confirmation on this story, I think people saw how hysterical everybody got when it happened. And now reporting on a potential WWE sale is the thing to do. So the next thing, and this was actually picked up by, I think, the sister publication of the Wall Street Journal. I think CNBC wrote about it. The idea that the Khan family, not Nick, but Tony and his father, Shahid Khan, that they are in the runnings to possibly purchase WWE. And I went, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? What exactly are we talking about here? So I look at this thing and it's kind of framed in a way where the Khan family, and I'm sure a lot of investors around them, because look, there is a lot of money in that family. You're talking about not only does, does Tony own AEW, you're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're talking about the soccer clubs they own, you're talking about, there's a lot there. There's a lot so when you've got a group that is already in both sports and specifically professional wrestling that is in the business of live events and television that has a lot of money, yeah, I would say that, that there's at least a conversation to be had. Are they a potential? And I think that uh, rumors started going nuts and people started speculating wildly when it was put out there that... Uh, that the cons could be interested in, uh, I guess, purchasing, acquiring, whatever, merging with WWE, and that there would even be a spot on the table for Vince McMahon, that there would even be a potential role for Vince. And I'm thinking, God bless the cons, if they're the ones, if Tony Khan or his father were the ones that got that information out there, God bless them because it's free publicity and all it does is put them into this bigger conversation, which I think is genius. But that's not a thing that's happening. It's There's no way. Hey, guys, just want to take a minute to acknowledge our next partner, Athletic Greens. I'm really excited that Athletic Greens is on board here at Not Sam Wrestling. AG1 by Athletic Greens was the morning booster that I needed. Look, you know, it says what it says in the copy, but the fact is, I'm assuming that you might be like me in the sense that our diet is not exactly where it should be. I'm getting to that age where I can't get away with ridiculously processed foods and never eating vegetables and just having an atrocious diet all around. I didn't realize how much I was lacking all these vitamins until I started getting them back in my system and realizing how much better I felt. You just scoop, shake, and you have it along with your morning coffee, your OJ. It's like you've got a whole shelf of multivitamins all in one drink. Packed with over 75 vitamins and minerals for a major boost to your gut, your mood, your energy, your skin, your hair, your nails. I mean, vitamins are one of those key pillars to life that we just we just ignore. We take it for granted. You got to get enough sleep. You got to drink water. And you got to get those vitamins. It's just going to make you healthier all around. 
If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash not Sam. That's athleticgreens.com slash not Sam. Check it out. You know, I I I I I don't I, I think that 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 Warner Brothers Discovery would probably have something to say about it. You know, well, what, what are we airing? What are we broadcasting if you also own WWE? I don't think that Vince McMahon is coming back to work to work for the competition. If you know anything about Vince McMahon, you know he loves to compete. He loves confrontation. He said it on the Pat McAfee interview. I love confrontation. He, the greatest, I bet, I bet if you asked him the greatest moment of his life, was announcing that he purchased his competition, WCW. He would never allow that to happen to himself. Never. I don't care how much money there is. It's not happening. But the conversation about Disney, and they said Nick Khan was meeting with Disney. I said, Disney, on the other hand, there is potential there, right? Because not only, Disney owns a lot. Disney has shown that they know how to use IP, which is what WWE is. It's just a, a big barrel full of intellectual property. Disney acquired Marvel, and they figured out how to make a lot of money off of all that Marvel IP. Just Infinity Movies, Infinity Wars, <laughs> Infinity TV series, rides in theme parks, merchandise, the whole thing. Disney acquires Star Wars. There's a lot of IP with Star Wars. They figure out how to make all of the money off of it. Series after series after series. More movies. Another trilogy. In between trilogy movies. Offshoots. A whole Star Wars land in Disney World. Exclusive series for their streaming platform. The whole thing. Disney also owns ESPN. And if you look at what's going on with ESPN... They entered in to what I believe, don't quote me on this, is a $1.5 billion deal or somewhere around there with UFC. Um, and it was a five-year deal that expires, I think, at the end or in 2023, at the end of the year. I think UFC has been very good for ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. All the UFC pay-per-views have been on ESPN+. Plus. Not only do you have to subscribe to ESPN+, Plus, but you have to pay an additional like 60, 70 bucks to get these pay-per-views, but you can only get them on the ESPN app. They've also produced programming for ESPN. What UFC doesn't have, they have the pay-per-view model on lock. What they don't have is storyline-driven weekly programming, as well as 40 years of marketable intellectual property. When I say intellectual property, I'm talking not only about the Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, WWE, WCW, ECW brands. I'm talking about the intellectual property is Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage, Bret the Hitman Hart, Goldberg, Sting. Uh, I don't know if they have Sting. No, AEW has Sting. But you know what I'm saying. They have all this stuff. And so you go, okay, not only could it fill in that gap that could be left by UFC, but now we're in the live event business, which Disney already is because they do Disney on ice. 
They do uh, Broadway, Disney on Broadway. That's all produced by Disney. But they've also got content that they could use on Disney Plus or ESPN Plus. They could move the entire WWE network over to ESPN Plus and get all those Peacock subscribers to go over once the Peacock deal is finished. They've got documentary after documentary. They can produce new content. They've got everything. They've got everything that they can merchandise, right? T-shirts, toys. Mattel, you know, being involved with Disney makes sense in terms of making action figures for WWE. They've got uh, uh, possible attractions. People have talked about uh, making a physical Hall of Fame with WWE-based attractions for a long time. Who do you know that's in that business? Even if you just make it part of one of the Disney parks, Hollywood Studios, and here's, you know, the WWE Hall of Fame inside Hollywood Studios with a ring and there's exhibition matches. Why would Disney ever put on a wrestling show? I don't know, WCW Worldwide, anybody? It's all there. But that's not to say it's definitely going to happen. You talk about UFC. What about the company that owns UFC? Endeavor. Endeavor figured out that you could buy UFC. You could leave the people who run UFC in charge of UFC and just help this thing grow and let the people who do the thing do the thing with Dana White. That's what they're doing with UFC. Now imagine if they could couple WWE with UFC and they could make it so Saturday night's a UFC fight, Sunday night's a WWE premium live event. They can use the same crew. They can use the same buildings. Maybe sell a double ticket if people are interested in both things. Now I don't think there's as much crossover between the MMA and professional wrestling world as some people think. I don't I don't think it's there. But if anything, there's a rivalry. But I do think in terms of live event production, a lot of costs you can save, and it's not a foreign world to any of them. I mean, what about, you talk about media companies, NBC, Comcast, NBC, Universe. They're already, they already have Raw. They already have the WWE Network. They're probably pretty psyched about it. Fox is another one that's already got SmackDown. There's all these possibilities. And I think what we're going to be doing for the next several months, I would guess, is wildly speculating. Even when I say several months, that's a wild speculation. The whole thing could be done three hours after this podcast drops. That's the way the wrestling world that we're in right now works. All we can do is strap on, go along for the ride, and see where it lands. But what does give me some degree of hope as a fan is that when you look at WWE, if it is going to get sold, it's going to get sold for somewhere, I would have to believe, between six and $8 billion, right? And if a company is gonna drop between, or a group of investors or whoever it is, is gonna drop between six and $8 billion on this company, WWE, they're not doing it to shut it down. They're not, it's not a going out of business sale. The only reason to pay that amount of money for WWE is to make your money back and then some. So for us, hopefully it ends up being a good thing. Will it be a good thing? I don't know. It's just speculation at this point. Um, while we're talking about it though, I figure we could finally start to speculate over some actual wrestling stuff instead of pretending 
that we're business experts, like a lot of people are doing these days. Let's actually talk about wrestling, which is why this podcast was created to begin with. I'll tell you what, what shocked me this week. When I think about intercontinental championship matches and the classics and why that title is held in high regard, I think of, of Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. I think of Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. Uh, there's a lot of them. What I didn't realize is that coming out of this week or last week, coming out of last week, what I didn't realize is that I would also put Braun Strowman and Gunther as one of those classic intercontinental championship matches. Who saw that coming? That those two monsters, and this isn't to take anything away from either of them, but they went something like 22 minutes on SmackDown, and it was a g great match. I did not have on my 2023 bingo card that Braun Strowman would, and Gunther as a pairing would end up being a Matt classic, but it's gotta be, right? The whole thing about Gunther is that the Matt is sacred. That's what Imperium's deal is, that he's going into the Royal Rumble to, to teach people what wrestling should be, that that's why the Intercontinental title has the esteem that it does, because it needs to be respected, and the only person that can put the respect on its name that it should have is Gunther, which means you better be having classics every time you're out, because if you have a stinker, and then you come and talk to me about the ring being sacred, don't be having stinkers then. He can't have them, and he doesn't have them. God bless Gunther. And shout-outs to Braun Strowman. Speaking of Braun Strowman and speaking of speculation, let's talk about this Bray Wyatt situation that we're in. Because just when we thought we were starting to get some clarification, just when we thought that things were starting to come out of the fog, we see Uncle Howdy in a very human incarnation. He's very clearly a different entity. We see him again on Monday Night Raw as he comes out and laughs at Alexa Bliss and then the lights go out and we never see him again. Just when we're starting to get out of the fog, leave it to old Brizzy Wyatt to come back and pour a whole bunch of fog right back over us. Bray comes out and he starts talking, you know, we have the we have the big entrance. Bray has two versions of his entrance. One is like, it's like when a TV show is in syndication. After 100 episodes of a television show, they usually end up shortening the opening credits, right? It, it, there's like a 30-second version and a five-second version. We've got a 30-second version and a five-second version of Bray's intro. We got the 30-second version this time, the one that's reminiscent of what we saw at Extreme Rules when we first saw Bray with the whole, and, and man, the long Bray entrance still rocks my socks. I love it. With the, with the, I mean, I just feel like the music just builds tension so well as that piano is going. And the lights going, and it's beating along with the music, and then the lights go. The light goes out. What's coming through that swamp door? And here comes Bray, and Bray immediately makes you realize something is different here when he sits in the rocking chair. 
Now, we started to get past usually the sort of I'm trying to decipher what Bray's got going on here is the beginning of the story. Because in the past several weeks, L.A. Knight has come out and he's interrupted promos and he's done and he and he's and he's called out the bizarreness of what's going on and said, I am a human being. This doesn't make any sense to me what you're doing. And then here comes Uncle Howdy to make even less sense of it. But this time, no L.A. Knight, no Uncle Howdy, no nothing. Just Bray in a rocking chair. And immediately, the rocking chair goes, okay, we're dipping backwards towards OG Bray Wyatt. And he says, we're here. We're here. But he says, we. We're here. Which is, of course, what he used to say when he would lead the Wyatt family to the ring. WrestleMania 30 era Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Blow out the lantern. Charlotte, North Carolina. We're here. <laughs> yep. And Bray and Bray Bray does that and he, and he and he starts to make allusions to stuff we've seen before. He very quickly says, revel in what you are which is a big quote that was a part of the whole uh, White Rabbit scenario. The whole series of White Rabbit vignettes, that was a quote that came up more than once. He said, I'm the color red in a black and white world, which of course goes back to the red ring that's been a part of this, this Bray Wyatt thing the entire time. But I think, you know, the most important thing is that he said, I am Uncle Howdy. I am, he, he started making this list of who he is. And one of the people he said that he was Uncle Howdy. I'm Uncle Howdy. But he said, I am him. I am Bray Wyatt. And the way he said it, he got that big pop going. But I am him. When somebody says, I am him, him in that scenario is usually the capitalized version of him. That's I am God. Bray is coming to you from this philosophical place that some people have where they believe that they are God in the sense that we are all God. We are all everyone. In your world, you are God. In my world, I am God. That's the way I took it when he said, I am him. But he specifically said, I am Uncle Howdy. I am. And it's like, I don't know if you are Uncle Howdy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. He said that there was going to be a rebirth at the Royal Rumble. And I'm sitting here going, I feel like we haven't even gotten the full rebirth that we're getting now. I don't know if that means that it's the conclusion of the rebirth, but I feel like we there was a rebirth at Extreme Rules, but the birthing process has not completed. So I am unclear as to whether the rebirthing that we're going to see at the Royal Rumble is a rebirth from Extreme Rules, or it's the completion of the birthing process that began at Extreme Rules. I think it's the completion of the rebirthing process that began at Extreme Rules because we're going to start where we end. We started with an acknowledgement of all those characters. We saw them all in the audience in physical forms. And now this is where we end. At the end, he went, run. Which, of course, is the old school Bray Wyatt. It was almost as if 
the physical attack that was thrust upon him by one Uncle Howdy two weeks ago on SmackDown opened the door to the old Bray Wyatt. Because on this episode of SmackDown related to this promo, a QR code came up. And when you scan the QR code, a video came up and it was old Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt. And he was saying, see you in hell. And he morphed into the fiend. And that was it. And it led to a lot of people wondering, are we going to see the fiend at the Royal Rumble? Maybe. I think that there's a lot of people who feel like the fiend was not completed. Uh, I don't think that people were very happy at all with the way that story came to an end. I don't know anybody that was like, oh man, yeah, the thing at WrestleMania with Alexa Bliss and then just ending there forever. That was awesome. I've never heard anybody say that. So there is still room for The Fiend to come back. I had thought when he introduced us to this new Bray Wyatt, he had said goodbye to all those demons of his past. But maybe Uncle Howdy has reawakened all those demons from his past. And I'm okay with that if that's the case. But I don't know that I believe that Uncle Howdy is Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt is Uncle Howdy. I saw them staring at each other. We all saw it. It wasn't a figment of anyone's imagination. L.A. Knight acknowledged it. I think, maybe, and this is just a thought that's come into my mind. I hate to call it a prediction. I'm not sitting here saying this is where it's going. But it occurs to me that this whole thing with L.A. Knight and Bray Wyatt does not seem like it's the thing. It really seems like L.A. Knight just got swept up into this tornado that is Bray Wyatt. Bless his soul, L.A. Knight ultimately feels inconsequential to the greater Bray Wyatt story. It was just L.A. Knight was required to get under Bray's skin to begin the process of having Uncle Howdy come out and reawakening these demons. That said, I can't believe necessarily that Uncle Howdy and Bray are on the same page. Part of me, as I'm watching this, thinks, what if Bray is saying, I am Uncle Howdy, and Uncle Howdy is saying, no, son, you're not. What if, what if, what if Bray thinks he is Uncle Howdy, but Uncle Howdy is much more powerful than Bray is giving him credit? And that for the first time, this, this weirdness that exists within Bray Wyatt is going to spill out into physical form. We've already seen that it can happen. If Bray starts going down memory lane at the Royal Rumble, because we're going to see Bray wrestle, and it's going to be a pitch black match, a Mountain Dew pitch black match. By the way, Mountain Dew should probably pay 
If I'm going to talk about it on my podcast, I feel like I should also get some of that sponsorship money. But regardless, it's the Mountain Dew pitch black match. I'll, I would think that that means that obviously at some point the lights would have to be on because we have to see the match. Otherwise, we'll be totally lost. We'll just be an audible experience. And this podcast, that can be okay for. But that match, no. You'd need some visual. I think we'll see uh, strobe lights. I think we'll see spotlights. I think we'll see the lights go off. I think we'll see the lights come back on. What if we figure out a way that every time the lights come back on, another incarnation of Bray Wyatt is in there? What if in this pitch black match, we start with the Bray that we've been seeing on SmackDown? And as the lights go off and we're seeing spotlights, we see chaos. We hear chaos. We don't really know what's going on. The lights come back on and there's Bray in a Hawaiian shirt. Lights go off, lights come back on, and there's Ramblin' Rabbit. Lights go off, lights come back on, and there's The Fiend. Lights go off, lights come back on, and there's Uncle Howdy. But what if the lights go off and lights come back on, and there's Uncle Howdy and there's Bray Wyatt? Uncle Howdy lays out Bray Wyatt. L.A. Knight gets the pin. L.A. Knight goes on, having beaten Bray Wyatt, brags about it, and it leads him to a story that we're going to someplace in the future. You know, L.A. Knight is done with Bray Wyatt. But Bray is not done. Because Uncle Howdy not only attacking him but costing him the match has awakened something much deeper in Bray Wyatt. That's a a permanent return of The Fiend. I am sitting here telling you that I don't think it's far-fetched to say that what happens at the Royal Rumble could easily result in a big match between Uncle Howdy and The Fiend. There's just, it just started occurring to me this week. I feel like that's where we're going. I've said this before, from the beginning, it has felt like Bray's story is a story that exists independent of anyone else in the WWE. That Bray came back to WWE to tell his own specific story within the context of the WWE universe. But that's to say that Bray has this whole story mapped out for himself that has nothing to do with anything else going on on the WWE roster. This is not about Bray climbing up the ladder so that he can be the one to take the Intercontinental title off Gunther. This is not about Bray climbing the ladder so that he can be the one to finally beat Roman Reigns. And by the way, all the folks that said, you know, there are discussions about having Bray versus Roman Reigns. What happened to those discussions? Nobody's going to take ownership of that regardless. So I think that Bray is back to tell the story that Bray wants to tell. And in order to tell the story that he wants to tell, it can't interfere with any other story going on in WWE. Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, Bray, we'd love to do that, but so-and-so is busy doing this. Ah, uh, we have, we, we, yeah, no, that's fine, but so-and-so has plans to do that. Well, if Bray is the master of his own universe, which I think is what we're seeing, he can feel free to tell his own story. And I think that this story that we're seeing, and I would not be shocked if it draws out all the way to WrestleMania, I think we're going to see The Fiend versus Uncle Howdy. I think that's where we're going. And I can't tell you if it's good or bad. 
I have no idea what's going on right now. It's going to be two physical bodies that can meet in the ring. It doesn't have to be done, you know, using camera tricks and everything like that. Because we've seen those two physical bodies before. I love horror movies. I love the idea of just a giant horror movie monster like The Fiend facing another horror movie monster like Uncle Howdy. We know that both The Fiend and Uncle Howdy have now taken shape and form that can work inside a WWE ring. I think we're going to see Uncle Howdy versus The Fiend. I'd love to hear what you think about it. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com is the email address to send all that to. Um, While we're talking about promos, uh, I would definitely make a point to check out the Adam Cole promo on AEW. AEW Dynamite had a hot start last week, starting with uh, Adam Page versus Mox, which very noteworthy that Adam Page won that match because Mox has, I believe that's only the second Maybe the third time Mox has lost. Lost to MJF with interference. Lost to CM Punk. Well, no. Who did he lose the title to? Well, he hasn't lost very often is my point. Especially clean. He seldom loses. So the fact that we saw Mox lose to Adam Page I think is a big deal. But to me, a bigger deal in the short term at least is that Adam Page, uh, in a surprise, and nobody reported this, I thought it was really cool that we actually got the surprise Adam Page uh, showed up on TV, announced his return, and just that little twist. I, I, I feel like that's one of those moments that you can repackage and it'll last forever. He goes, and now the bad news. And everybody goes, boo, no, no, no. Say it ain't so. He goes, it's bad news. For everybody on the roster, Adam Cole is back. Yeah, the old bait and switch. Loved it. Thought it was great. You think it's going one way? Classic misdirection. And it, uh, it really made you feel uh, uplifted. I think a lot of people are real happy to see Adam Cole back in AEW and uh, real happy that we're going to get some Adam Cole matches. I don't know who I'd like to see him first in a serious, uh, in a serious program with, like a big pay-per-view match. Um, you know, we've got MJF and Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, I'm sorry. Maybe Adam Cole versus Adam Page. Maybe Adam Cole versus Mox. Maybe it's just because I have Adam Page and Mox in my head right now. I don't know, but there's a lot of possibilities there. Um, I think it's amazing that, to me, a real highlight has developed on Monday Night Raw. And it really goes to show you that you can never give up on anybody, that sometimes it's just about finding the right way to showcase a talent. On Raw, we're finding that a lot of the most compelling storylines are the storylines that are now taking place on both Raw and SmackDown. You know, when the bloodline shows up on Raw, it gets real interesting. They go and tear everything apart. They uh, they make poor Adam Pierce develop an ulcer. Just stress him out to no end. Everybody gets bloodline matches. Uh, Uncle Howdy and Alexa Bliss, that whole thing is an offshoot of what's going on on SmackDown. But there is one specific, and there's, you know, there's more than one thing going on on Monday Night Raw, but there is one thing that I'm guaranteed to look forward to every week. And it's some someone 
that I wouldn't have thought I would say this about, you know, six months ago. And that's no, that's no shade. It's just, you know, they hadn't found what they were doing with him yet. But Prison Dom is about the most entertaining thing on Monday Night Raw. And I say that as an all-time compliment. I love everything that Prison Dominic Mysterio is doing right now. I love that people are making reference to The Office. I love that his friends have his back. That the Judgment Day, Finn Balor, Mommy, Rhea Ripley, Damian, Damian Priest, I love that they're all going, yeah, no, they have his back. Wasn't he only in, in like lockup for a couple hours? What's it to you? Why are you asking all these questions? I love him. When he showed up on Raw, walking around backstage with that purple bandana over his nose, when he's on Miz TV wearing that flannel, looking like, no, he's seen some things. He's been through it. And even the Miz had to say, what are you talking about? Even the Miz cannot buy what he's selling. You're just like, how? And he, but he, he's not blinking. He's not blinking. That's the beauty of it. Full force ahead. He's got that teardrop tattoo. And he was still, even though they won the gauntlet, which I love, I love that they won the gauntlet. Prison Dom was so reluctant to get in the match. I love they're all all judgment day. Judgment Day has turned around in a huge way. And Dominic Mysterio is probably the success story already of the year. Dominic Mysterio was already an incredible success story of 2022. Ending 2022. Dominic Mysterio had totally turned it around. He was already one of the strongest characters on Monday Night Raw, just in just with the mommy stuff, right? Just, just Dominic trying to act badass and nobody taking him seriously. I've been to live shows. I've watched how deeply the crowd boos him. And when you're a villain and you're getting legitimate booze not fun booze not like we're booing him because we like him and that's what he wants us to do but booze like it's the natural reaction to seeing you i want to watch every segment don't get me wrong i want to make sure that you're on tv all the time but there's just something about your existence something about the way that you talk the things that you say that makes me want to say boo this man I mean, that's, that's, that's a heel. That's a villain. And he's crushing it. He was already crushing it. And these Dom and Rhea visit the Mysterios vignettes were all so good, but prison Dom with his teardrop tattoo. Oh, I've seen some things. And then he drops this line. Now I know how Martha Stewart felt. Oh, Mwah. chef's kiss. And the rest of Judgment Day is just sitting there nodding. Hell yeah, Dominic. Hell yeah, Dominic. I thought it was great. I think that the stuff that the... I, I, I love watching the evolution of these factions. I love seeing the evolution 
of what we've got with the Judgment Day and Dominic Mysterio. I also love, and you know I've loved this for a while, seeing the evolution of the bloodline. And we saw some of that on SmackDown. I've been fascinated for a long time now by Roman Reigns' ability to portray the the mental and emotional abuse that he's been portraying. It started with the Jey Uso storyline, right? Just watching him manipulate his cousin that he grew up with. And then Jim, and, and, and see, I mean, that's how the bloodline was formed. The bloodline as a faction was formed in this manipulative toxicity. And it has only festered and grown upon itself. That's why I love these facial expressions that Roman Reigns gives. I love that it's not just about making sure we win. It's about making sure we don't disappoint the tribal chief. These are not just people that are are fearful of their jobs. These are people that are emotionally connected to this man, that have complex issues where they look at this man as a savior. Yes, sir, whatever you need, sir. It's like that movie, The Menu. Yes, chef. Thank you, chef. We love you, chef. That's Roman. And he did that with Jey Uso, and he did it with Jimmy as well. But what happens in life? Who hurts? Hurt people hurt. Why do people act the way that people act? Because hurt people hurt. Emotional trauma builds upon itself and tends to work generationally. It goes downhill, as as, as many have said. So the fact that now... Jimmy and Jay, who went through what they went through a year and a half ago, two years ago, whatever it was, two years ago, say. The fact that they went through what they went through and are still coming out the other end, treating Sammy the way they treated Sammy on SmackDown on Friday. I mean, ah, ah, the despicableness of it all. We saw this great match between Sami Zayn, great match between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. And Sami finally gets to the place where he has the match won. I love the sequence, the full Nelson into the suplex, the adrenaline lifts Kevin Owens right up back onto his feet. He goes after Sami, Sami ducks it again, hits him with the same move again, drops him on his neck and Kevin Owens is worse for wears. He's in the corner trying to pull himself up. Sammy is getting ready for that halluva kick, knowing that once he hits the halluva kick, this match is over. And he gets to not only have that declarative victory over this person that has haunted him, that has been the angel and the devil on his shoulder for his entire career, but most importantly, He gets to prove his worth to the tribal chief. He gets to go to the tribal chief and say, that guy that's been bothering you, I, me, I took care of it. That's for you, my tribal chief. 
That's what he wanted to do because he's so wrapped up in this emotionally. And what do the Usos and Solo Sokoa do? Just when Sami Zayn is about to have that for himself, they take it away from him. And Sami says, what are you doing? And they look at him and go, Us, we did it for you. Sami's got his hands out as if to say, what is going on? And Jimmy is trying to dap him up. Let me get some, let me get some. We did that for you, we're the bloodline. Solo once again channeling the spirit of the Samoan bulldozer Umaga as he has that amazing move running, you know, onto the table, off the barricade and splashing Kevin Owens right through the table and then shouting that tribal shout. And they look at Sammy and they go, Sammy, put your one up, put your one up, Sammy. And he does because he knows he has to. He's hurt because he wasn't able to get his moment with the chief. But he knows that every decision he's making is being watched. Every decision he's making is being judged. It is going to be so sweet when this all falls apart. And what it has to be is not Sammy turning on the bloodline, but Sammy waking up to what they've done. There has to be a moment now because clearly we're at this point where the story, and this is how you can tell that the story is developing right in front of our eyes because now the story is that Roman has this toxic jealousy over the attention that Sammy is getting. This is why he's torturing Sammy. Sammy didn't lose the tag match. Roman caught an attitude adjustment and ended up on the outside of the ring. John Cena took him out. They both lost that match. But Sammy took the pin. Roman is saying, Sammy, this is your fault. Why? Let's be honest. Because every arena they've gone to, the crowd is chanting, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. What is this doing? Building to a beautiful hero versus villain face-off between Sammy Zayn and Roman Reigns. I think the Royal Rumble may be the time where Sammy is finally pushed too far. He's not going to cost Roman the title. I think it'll happen after the match. But I think that's the way to do it. You push Sammy too far. And he finally hits back. And Sammy and KO start to lay out the bloodline. And between Royal Rumble and the Elimination Chamber... Sammy has matches with bloodline members. Sammy has a match with Solo that ends in a disqualification when the bloodline gets involved. But Sammy wins. Sammy has a match with Jey Uso. Beats Jey Uso. Sammy has a match with Jimmy Uso. Gets lucky, rolls him up, beats Jimmy Uso. Now Sammy goes to the elimination chamber. Main event. Montreal, Quebec, Canada. goes to the ring, gets the hero's welcome of a lifetime, faces off against Roman Reigns, and is put down by the tribal chief. It's the only way this thing ends. But boy, boy, is it going to be a fun ride getting there. Before we say goodbye uh, uh, for the day, for the show, uh, I want to get to a couple of emails that caught my attention. If you want to send me an email, not Sam Wrestling. 
at gmail.com is the uh, email address. Uh, I'll go in chronological order. This one's coming from Dylan. Hey, Sam, love the Thursday Patreon pod, whether it's on Thursday or not. Uh, I think there is something fishy going on with the Bray Wyatt theme. We have now seen Uncle Howdy, and there is some discussion as to who is behind the mask. I just read the lyrics, and I believe they are pretty easy to interpret. Look forward to your thoughts, Dylan in Mexico. Now, the lyrics that he sent them are, uh, it is something about your brother. Now, I, I can't, I don't know. I feel like that is probably a coincidence, but it's tough with this Bray Because, I mean, it's like you would think that even after this story, Bray will still use the theme. Or is it the Uncle Howdy? Is it the Uncle Howdy theme or the Bray Wyatt? The Bray Wyatt theme. Um, it's possible, I'll say, Dylan. It's possible. Uh, Matt writes in from New Jersey. Uh, Sam, huge fan of your podcast. Thank you for the hours of entertainment each week. I find your voice original and refreshing in the vast sea of wrestling podcasts. It's an ocean at this point, my friend. I just wanted to comment and provide my speculation as you recommend it. Number one, WWE batshit crazy era. You should make that a t-shirt. That's the era that we're living in. It's the batshit crazy era. Number two, I speculate that Ted Turner, Ted Turner will make a comeback by the WWE and promote it exclusively on his new cable TV channel slash streaming platform. He'll throw a bunch of cash to WWE and let Eric Bischoff book Raw and SmackDown. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Well, I mean, when you put it that way, I don't, I don't think any anything anything could go wrong. Let's see. Uh, yes, uh, Ted Turner is 84 years old, still with us. I mean, he's alive. I don't. I, don't, I think that there's just as much chance of Ted Turner buying the WWE as of anything else. And if we've learned anything, it's that speculation is important and necessary. So if I could leave you with one thing, it would be to do our friend Matt proud. Let's start speculating that Ted Turner may be the one who buys WWE. We'll see you next week.